0: Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this virtual Commonwealth Club program. I'm Cheryl Jennings, formerly with ABC7 TV in San Francisco for 39 years and founder of my own social media company, Cheryl Cam Media, and I am your moderator for today. Currently, the Commonwealth Club has suspended its in-person programming, but is hosting special virtual events, including this very special event. You can learn about our upcoming virtual programs, events, or become a member by visiting commonwealthclub.org. We are so grateful for the generous support of our members and donors and hope that you will join them. So please consider making a donation online or text DONATE to 415-329-4231. We also encourage you to like, subscribe, and share videos like this one with your friends and family. And during our program, we will have time for your questions, so you can submit those in the chat box. Now, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you today's special guests, Marlo Thomas and Phil Donahue. Beautiful people, power couple, love to have you here. It's so fantastic. I want to brag about them a little bit. They're authors of their first book together. It's called What Makes a Marriage Last? Marlo Thomas is an award-winning actress, social activist, philanthropist. Over the course of her career, Marlo has been honored with four Emmy Awards, a Grammy and a Golden Globe. She is the driving force behind fundraising efforts for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, founded by her father, Danny Thomas. In 2014, President Barack Obama awarded her the Presidential Medal of Freedom. That is the highest honor. A civilian can receive. I want to brag about Phil a little bit. Phil Donahue is a media pioneer who revolutionized the talk show television format and ushered in a new era of broadcast television. For more than 25 years, he was widely regarded as the king of daytime talk with millions of viewers tuning in to watch his show. Phil had the remarkable ability to connect with his guests and audience and raised the level of conversation. He talked with people from all walks of life and never shied away from dealing with important societal issues, including race discrimination, marriage equality in the LGBTQ community, and feminism. And this is really exciting for his contributions. He won 20 Daytime Emmy Awards, 20, including 10 for Outstanding Host and 10 for Best Talk Show. In 1993, Phil was inducted into the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences Hall of Fame. And this month, Marlo and Phil will be celebrating 40 years of marriage. Please join me in welcoming Marlo Thomas and Phil Donahue. I feel like I should have an applause, for <laughs> sound effects, or something. Thank you so <laughs> much. Thank you. Thank you. That's just, thank that's you. So thank you. It's really thrilling to have you here with us. Um, I wish we could see you in person, but that's not going to happen—at <laughs> least not for now. So, first of all, you have survived writing a book together, your first project. What was that like for you? Well, honey,
1: you want to say? Uh, well. Uh, uh, you said survive. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh well I learned a lot about my wife during this uh you know we didn't expect the the virus to be accompanying our first yeah. uh, our first effort as authors. Yeah, as authors. Uh after all these years of marriage, it was uh I learned a lot about my wife during this period. Um,
0: Anything you care to share?
1: Yeah, she's uh <laughs> Well, I was I was impressed with uh, how conscientious she was. I mean, she she knew everything, every uh, interview that we were scheduled to have. She knew what time she knew <laughs> she knew where it was coming from, <laughs> and how much time we had, and that I better show up.
2: Well, the great thing <laughs> about us, is, really, the reason we got along so well is we have completely different personalities. Phil is Mr. Cool, Mr. Back. He did 29 years of television, 6,000 hours. I mean, he's the master. He walks in and whatever he thinks, he says. I, on the other hand, I'm making notes. I'm figuring out questions. I'm doing all kinds of uh, research to be sure, you know, that I get it right. He's just cooler, and and it's great because uh, when we went to interview Elton John and David Furnish in Toronto, uh, the the assistant gave us the message that we'd only have a half hour. And I said, "Oh my God, a half hour! All the interviews were like two hours." So I went into a complete panic mode, and I and I started making like rapid fire questions, you know, like thirty questions that you could get one minute answers. I was so panicked about it because I wanted to have a rich interview. Phil, on the other hand, put his feet up and turned on the sports on television. And I said, to him, aren't you going to help me with this? He said, oh, don't worry about that. They're not going to stop us after 30 minutes, trust me. Well, I still went ahead and made my notes, and we got up. Then we were there for like two hours. So he's just got a cooler head about it, and I am, you know, get the fog, make it happen kind of person. So I think that's why we got along so well doing the book, because we weren't – if we were both – either his way or my way it probably wouldn't work but because we're so different it it worked very nicely
1: yeah it was it was a very very interesting adventure for me and i learned a lot i mean i i was impressed with uh, for example during the the virus she wanted movies and i wanted to see what donald trump was doing <laughs> and uh, to encourage me to watch a movie once in a while she made popcorn Sounds no. like a small thing, but wow, that, that got me to sit down and watch the movie.
2: I lured him away from the news. You have no idea how hard that is. <laughs> I, I can I, imagine. He's such a journalist. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, And I say to him, it's the same information, honey, every hour. You know, no matter what, you, you, he watches like six shows in a row. It's all the same information, but, but it's got a different little tilt on it. I mean, I respect it. He's a journalist and he loves the news. I'm a movie buff. I grew up in Hollywood. I watch the news for an hour. I've got it. I don't need to keep watching it. But anyway, <laughs> so to answer your question, we, we got along fine and we didn't, we never did a project together before because I, I think we thought we wouldn't do it well. Um, that we might buck heads because we're both type A personalities, even though our personalities are different in many ways. We're both used to running the show. So we I wasn't sure that that would work, but it, it, it didn't get in the way at all.
0: Why did you decide to do this particular project as your first project? Well, um, you want to answer that?
1: Well, um, as our marriage went on and on, the more we were married, the more fascinated we became with other marriages and the people who occupied them
2: for a and, long time
1: yeah and what was it about them that you know half of us get divorced half of us
2: and also it, it, it we, we this is about a year ago when we were celebrating our 39th wedding anniversary and we were talking about the fact that the world seems so negative this is before the virus just negative people aren't getting along we're so polarized men and women are not in a good place right now. There's all kinds of accusations back and forth. It was like, we've got to do something positive. We've got to get love out there again. And we thought, what better way to do it than, than instead of focusing on our marriage, which a lot of people have asked us through the years, what makes your marriage work? And You don't really know. You can't really say, I don't know what makes it work. We like each other. We're chemically attracted to each other, but I'm not really sure. So we thought if we went and spoke to a lot of couples, that somewhere in the middle of all of that would be enough nuggets that we'd be able to figure out what what is it that makes a marriage last? And and I think we pulled that off with these forty different couples. Yeah, we
1: got a lot of nuggets,
2: <laughs>
1: a lot of good nuggets. All right,
0: so you you feature forty couples, forty couples. That's so many interviews all over the country. So that's a huge challenge. And and just some of the notes that you had in your book, you picked people from all walks of life: actors, athletes, newsmakers, writers, comedians, musicians, President Carter and First Lady Rosalind. How did you choose, first of all, to to select these particular people? Well, we wanted to pick people, as you say,
2: from all walks of life. John McEnroe from sports and Sting and uh, LL Cool J and Elton John and, uh, you know, all kinds of writers and comedians, Billy Crystal, Ray Romano, uh, Bob Woodward, who won two Pulitzer Prizes. He brought down the president uh, with Watergate. We wanted to get a whole different group of people so that we could see, you know, that no matter who you are or what you do, no matter if you're black or white or brown or if you're gay or straight, uh, if you're young or old, we've got some young couples in there, too, that have been married only maybe 16 years, like Melissa McCarthy and Viola Davis, 17 years, you know, that we wanted to see. Does it change on any level Uh, what you do for a living or what your race is, what your religion is. Catholic, we have Catholic, we have Christian, we have Jews, we have Buddhists, we have uh, Muslim, uh, Baptists, President (laughs) Carter is a Baptist. And what we discovered is that everybody wants the same thing. They want to be able to trust their partner. They want somebody who will love them and they want to be able to love somebody.
1: They want somebody that has their back. And how do they solve Problems or, you know, when things get a little rocky, as most relationships eventually do, how did they solve that? Every marriage has thrown several
2: challenges. You know, there's alcoholism and and, and addiction with Jamie Lee Curtis and Kira Cedric and Kevin Bacon lost all their 30-year savings to Bernie Madoff. Jesse Jackson strayed from his marriage and had a baby with another woman and his wife took him back. Michael J. Fox and Tracy Pollan, three years into their marriage, were given the diagnosis that Michael had Parkinson's, which would last their lifetime. I mean, these are tremendous, uh, challenges that a family, that a, a marriage and a family, uh, faces. And, and yet they stuck it out. And what was, I thought interesting is that these marriages lasted because people did not run for the exit sign. They really, like Kira Sedgwick said, that the, that when you enter a marriage, you have to feel that there is no plan B. There's no escape route. And if you have that feeling, you will get through, uh, each thing that comes your way. Because a lot of people, you know, they expect the other person to make them happy. And if that person doesn't make them happy in three or four years, they go on to another person who they think might make them happy. But the truth is, is that what makes you happy is what you build together what you build together brings you happiness and who was
1: it said it might be easier to fix the relationship you're in than to cut it off and, and enter into it, the yeah. yeah enter into the whole complication of and the the en- separation and, and
2: divorce the, and, 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 and the energy uh, that was Elsa Walsh who was married to Bob Woodward she said i don't understand this desire for disruption you know, you get married, and if things aren't working out, instead of running away and then going through all this, the 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 energy it takes to separate and get a divorce, put that energy and that focus back into the marriage, and uh, and that's a very good thought. You know, Judge Judy is married to another judge, Judge Jerry, and they weren't getting along, and they got a divorce after about thirteen years, and they miss each other so much. Uh, she was upset with him because she didn't feel he was taking care of her in the way that she wanted to be taken care of. And he said, I don't know how to take care of you any better than I'm doing. So she said, well, I'm leaving. And so they got a divorce. And after about a year, they missed each other. They started dating and they got married again. So I said to Judy, uh, well, did he start change? Did he start taking care of you the way you wanted? She said, no, <laughs> no but I, I accepted it now. I learned a lot, and I grew up. So that's interesting. You know, you're not going to change each other. Who, what was it that James Carville said that was so good?
1: Carville said, uh, when you find yourself going round and around on a Mickey Mouse unimportant issue, <laughs> uh, <laughs> kick that can down the road. Exactly. Yeah, you know, so his marriage has a what? A, he, a pile of cans. Yeah, he every, said, behind
2: every successful marriage, is a whole... Long chain of of cans because people pick at pick at it pick at it when just and so we started doing that. It's one of the things we learned from the book. Sometimes we'll go around and around on some stupid issue that we just can't resolve. And and the first time this happened since our book, Phil turned to me and said, "Oh, let's just kick this can down the road," and we did, <laughs> and it was great. It yeah. was
0: wonderful. We well, thank you, James. Thank you for that. You knew a lot of the people you interviewed, didn't you? And uh, so I'm wondering whether it was easier or more difficult to ask them those really intimate questions, because you asked some really intimate questions.
2: I don't, uh, We didn't really ask a lot of intimate questions. They came across as conversations. You know, we made the decision that we would uh, see each couple in person. We didn't do any phone calls. And that was a big uh, investment on our part. We had to fly all over the country. We even went to to Toronto for Elton John and David Furnish. But we went to L.A. and Boston and Texas and, and Georgia and Chicago and D.C. We went all over the country. And it was a double date. It was just two of us and another married couple. And they would always put out salami and cheese. Yeah,
1: we had olives and crackers and, and
2: hummus. And, uh, and
1: some wow. people would put
2: out a bottle of wine. <laughs> and we would just have a double date and just start talking. We never started with a question, even though I had in the back of my mind some things I wanted to find out about, like how do they fight and stuff like that. And Phil, like, asking the question, you know, what were your parents' marriages like, which was interesting. Um, but mostly it just came out so... We, like we didn't ask Allie Wentworth about her sex life. She said, you got to have a lot of sex and uh, you have to stay with it. You know, but I would I, we would have never asked her how much sex do you have, uh, but she offered it. And some people just offered something about their sex lives or how they dealt with money. Um, it was really a conversation. And when we started out, Phil said, I'm not talking about our marriage. And then, of course, once we got started, we talked about it a lot.
1: And
0: then, I mean, once,
2: actually, you did.
1: Yeah, and once that happened, now we're really rolling. And what we entered when we entered the uh, relationship, we thought we'd maybe do twenty minutes. Well, really, <laughs> what two hours, two a- and a half least. hours? Yeah, yeah. We I were mean, there a we long mean, we were there a long time. Finally, I, you know, after almost three hours, <laughs> I'd say I'm sorry, but. We really have to leave. <laughs> and uh, everybody was... Uh, they got into it. Uh, yeah, they, they did. I mean, it's amazing. Something happened when we started talking about our relationships. Right. It started to roll from there. And it got
2: to be fun, too, meeting these people that we didn't know and having these conversations. Because when you go out with another couple, either, even somebody you know very well, like we know Arlene and Alan Alda very well, Ellen and Arlene and Phil and I have known each other for years and years. We've never sat down at dinner talking about our marriage. The idea that you sit down with another couple for two hours and the topic is marriage, it's really interesting because you don't do that ordinarily. Yeah. So it just kept going back and forth with, with stories that were funny, that were sad. I mean, we cried a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, was, it was very, uh, it was interesting, like with Ray Romano, who's such a funny guy. And he was funny all through the interview. And then he started talking about that his wife, Anna was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And he got very emotional about that. And it was, it was, it was interesting to see uh, a, a woman's breast cancer from her husband's point of view. We usually hear from the woman, but it was interesting to hear him talk about it and, and how, you know, he protected her and how he got the whole
1: family to, Step up to it. Alan Alda drove a cab. Of course, this is before Mash. Yes, and he would bring the, you know, the dollars and the quarters and whatever it was home. And Arlene would put it out on the kitchen table, and she put it in envelopes. Yeah, she'd she
2: had little envelopes marked rent, money, uh, food, uh, utilities. Um, and, and
1: then, then and, and then when he hit on Mash, he he flew home. Every week on the, on the red eye. Yeah, I think. from um, L.A. back to New Jersey.
2: A lot wow. of sacrifices like that in order for people to have their dream and make their dream come true. What I thought was interesting about Arlene Alda, nine years, for nine years, Alan never made a dime from acting, only from cabs and being a doorman, and she supplemented the income. And Billy Crystal's wife, Janice, also. Years of him making 4000 a year, and she had to go out and, and not only uh, supplement the income, but leave her kids at home while he would watch the kids during the day. She'd go work all day. Then when she came home, he'd go into New York and try to get a stand-up job for the night that paid nothing, $12 or something. But what I thought was fascinating is that these women did not say, as some wives might, why don't you get a real job? Yeah. They never
1: said that. They, they believed in them. And they were tag team parents. Right. I mean, they would hand off the baby, the, the job of raising the kid, yeah, or being with them during the day.
2: <laughs> but they, but they, but they actually said to them, "I believe in you. I know you're going to make it someday. We'll just, we'll just keep, you know, struggling till you do." I just thought that was great. I mean, because a lot of people, we know people in other businesses that went into business because their wives or their husbands just didn't feel it was. You know, they were going to make it, and it was just taking too much away from the family. It's a very interesting thing. That's why those marriages lasted. That's what makes a marriage last, belief in each other, supporting each other's dream, which which we have done in our lives.
0: It's so clear. You know, you, you talked about Allie Wentworth, and for people who don't know who she's married to— can you share a little bit more of that story,
2: <laughs> George? She's married to George Stephanopoulos, yes. and if I would have never fixed them up in a million years, she <laughs> is just a wild woman. She's so adorable, she's so funny, and so brave. And George is so buttoned up. You know, he's like a he's like a Rhodes Scholar, which I think he is. But he's so buttoned up, and and he's a real statesman. I mean, I I really trust him as a newsman. But so I would have never fixed them up in a million years. But when we sat with them, you can see it right away. They're very much in love. They're very cute together. Uh, he's her anchor. No pun intended, she said. <laughs> and, 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 he, and she is his inspiration. She, he says she brings all the color into my life. And so as we were talking, You know, she said, well, one of the things that makes a marriage last is you have to have sex and have a lot of it. She said, I know, you know, you get the flu and everything. Okay, but if you don't have the flu, let's just go for it. So, I mean, I just adore her. She is...
1: And Lori Lori Sullenberger, the wife of the pilot who landed in the Hudson River, Yes. uh, said, uh, he landed on water. He doesn't walk on water. (laughs) So you know, they all have their and way. Only of- wife <laughs> would
2: say that. I
1: just thought that was so funny. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, were there any embarrassing moments when you were doing these interviews where people would say things and go, "Oh, I didn't mean to say that."
2: Not really. We uh, we didn't have anybody who said, "Well, that's off the record," or "Don't repeat that." A couple of them, I think, two different couples, uh, said afterward. Uh don't use that part that I said about my daughter, or don't use that part I said about my son. That was That's the right. only thing they wanted to protect, but as far as themselves and of course we didn't um but as far as themselves they didn't they never asked us not to print something that they said uh, and uh, we I weren't did- there we weren't there uh as gotcha reporters, you of know course. we really were there as adventurers into the land of marriage what we, we wanted we wanted to get at that we weren 't interested in in you know finding out their dirty linen, that wasn 't what we were after,
0: oh, one of the things that I loved in your book, you were describing how you were trying to get these interviews and record them, capture them, and it was just a two of you, right, Traipsing all over the country, oh yeah, we did everything with we took devices
2: we, we took the selfies that are the end pages of the book is the selfies with, with us and all the couples. We took the pictures. Of course, they gave us their wedding photos. We took the selfies that are the end pages, and we did all the recording. And our first interview, tell them about that with Jimmy Carter.
1: Well, (laughs) uh, yeah, the the Carters, they were rolling. They were doing very well. When we opened up about our marriage, that triggered everybody with whom we were speaking to open up about theirs. And the Carters.
2: The the recorder didn't work.
1: Oh, God. Yeah, the first first Uh, interview.
2: Well, you know, I'm from television. So when the red light is on, that means you're recording, right? You always know the red light on the camera, you're on. Well, on this recorder, when the red light was flashing, you weren't on yet. Who the heck knew that? I thought I knew everything. So thank (laughs) God I had my phone uh my iphone that i would used as a backup and phil said oh we don't need yeah
1: yeah what are you doing with all this
2: (laughs) he said you don't need you don't need that phone thank god we had it because we got in the car i was all excited to play it back and i didn't have it and i oh my god i started to cry jimmy carter you can't go back and get it it was our first interview And I said to Phil, why would we have our first interview be a president of the United States? Anyway, we had the phone. We listened to that. And thank God it was on the phone. But what was interesting was when we got everything transcribed each time and we'd look at the transcription, we were excited. We thought, wow, this was every one of these interviews was really even better than we thought. And
1: all different.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because we didn't ask the same questions. We, we, yes, if we had a set of questions, then it would be boring as you right. went you know everyone would say everything, and we the same so it we didn't have that and it's not a q and a which we thought was we, we 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 toyed with that is it a q and a is it just a narrative story, and then we decided on this sort of hybrid of a narration and a q- you know a dialogue piece and then narration and a dialogue piece. We used the dialogue when it was funny or when it was, you know, poignant. When it needed to hear the person's voice.
1: And I, I spent a lot of time looking around, seeing how these people decorated their living room. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I don't know. It was a guilty pleasure. I mean,
0: was- he was doing lifestyles of the rich and famous. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's exciting. I mean, and President Carter. And can you talk about what some of their discussion was? Well, uh, they were interesting. They talked about their faith,
2: and that uh, they read the Bible to each other every night. They they learned to speak Spanish, so they have a Spanish Bible. They're very interesting in that way. They're they're very much into living life. You know, they're at sixty years old. They they learned how to ski. Uh, at seventy years old, they learned how to speak Spanish, and now they have a Spanish. Bible and they read the Bible in Spanish.
1: Did you see that picture of them in the book?
0: Yes, he was handsome and she was gorgeous. Yeah, and
1: he's with the whites. Yeah, the uniform and And, and she uh, was
0: she was nineteen. She was nineteen.
2: She was so oh, they were so adorable. And they they're very open. They very you know they bicker a little bit. They're a real couple. I mean, any couple that's not bickering a little bit probably isn't alive anymore. You know, they're really alive and and gentle with each other, though they disagree with each other. I mean, I I got a big kick out of them.
1: And about halfway through the interview, I said to uh, Rosalind, you're a feminist. Like, I was surprised. I mean, I'm not sure why. Yeah. Uh, Because she certainly. She took over the business. Yeah. She she did the books of their farm
2: business. Uh, it uh, it, it It was quite fascinating. And, oh, at one point, Phil asked them if they'd ever had any you know, marital difficulties that maybe, you know, seem dangerous. And he said, well, there was only one time. Do you remember what it was? Only one time when we were writing a book that we almost got a divorce. (laughs) And he said, so you guys be careful.
1: (laughs) And I would recall uh, to them that I once interviewed uh, Billy Graham. And I said, did you ever think of divorce? And Billy said, never. Never. Murder, yes. <laughs> Never <laughs> oh divorce. <my> <laughs>
0: so
1: that Classic. opened up, you know, a lot of a lot of yeah. what otherwise might have been hesitant yes. commentary. Yeah, yeah.
0: Each of those interviews, I mean forty interviews, two people each, what kind of preparation did you have to do prior to meeting them?
2: Well, as I said earlier, we Phil was very cool. Uh, didn't, didn't make a, he read everything about the people, but he didn't make any questions up. And I would have a couple in my head, but we tried to make this a conversation and, and not an interview. We didn't go out as reporters. We went out as adventurers. Got it. Uh, and,
1: and so that was more of our and, uh, and people who wanted to chat. Right. Uh, yeah. It's, it was, you know, there was nothing about, uh, Gotcha. Nothing at all about that. It was. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and, we, and, and we chose people that we would be interested in hearing from. I mean, there's a lot of people that are married and married for a while, uh, even with the statistics. But we chose people that we thought would be interesting to hear what Billy Crystal said, or President Carter, or John McEnroe, or, or Jesse Jackson. It would, yeah. it would be interesting. You know, so we picked people like Melissa McCarthy and her husband, Ben Falcone, who are so funny. And she said that much of their marriage is about laughter. She said, I don't know how people are married who who aren't silly a little bit of the time. She said (laughs) sometimes when they're having an argument, she'll turn around and he moons her, which is so funny to me (laughs) that he does that. And uh, she does caricatures of people. And, you know, they they have, and at one point we were talking about whether or not people go to bed angry. And, and he said, oh, I go to bed intentionally pissed because I know it'll be over in the morning. Um, and that's true. That really is true. And a lot of people talked about that, that they didn't want to sit up all night picking at something, waiting for somebody else to confess that they did something wrong. Go to bed in the morning, it'll be over anyway. And, and it truly really is true. In the morning, it's usually over.
1: The biggest, I think, uh, satisfaction that I got was entering this conversation with them looking at us a little bit uh, warily. <laughs> you know, what do you want to know here? And suddenly realizing that we've been talking for 45 minutes and we couldn't <laughs> shut them up. We didn't want to. Right. Uh, it was a, a good feeling because they were, you know, they were sharing their own personal issues uh, after we had done the same. So it was a. It really was a conversation. It really
2: was, and you could tell in the transcript. You could see how it would start out a little stiff, and then all of a sudden it would just burst into a a nice, warm conversation for both for both of us. We, we didn't. Well, the start- two
0: of you are so warm anyway and friendly. I can see how it'd be easy for people to just spill everything to you. <laughs> I love some of the vignettes you, you talked about. How many things went wrong while you were trying to get this right? Um, not just the microphones and the recording device, but what travel delays? Oh, I know. I mean, they were significant.
2: I know. I don't know what it is about travel these days. I, whether it was the stopping and the security, what? But we had so many plane delays. It was just terrible. Uh, we were like, I remember, we were like ten hours late for, yeah. to, to get to Chicago. We got to the airport at 8.30 in the morning, catch a 9.30 plane for a one thirty appointment in Chicago. We get there by 11.30 at plenty of time. We got there at 7.30 at night. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we, the plane still hadn't taken off. We've been there since 8.30. Oh. And I said to Phil, should we just go home? And he said, we're on the 10-yard line. Let's just wait. So that's, <laughs> again, you know, that's a difference in personality. I'm saying, okay, let's get out of here. And he's saying, we're on the 10-yard line, honey. Let's just wait. And we and, did, and we got there.
1: And the food platter that most of the guests had for us
0: yeah.
1: looked better than the airplane food.
0: <laughs> I'm so, sure it did. <laughs>
1: yeah, in a lot of ways. We were uh, we were very lucky. Yeah. Everybody was very kind to us. Very, very sweet. Very sweet people.
0: So how did you manage to do the interviews? Because you're so dynamic, and, and you're both type A personalities. How did you do the interviews without stepping all over each other?
2: Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It just was, you know, it's not bad sometimes to step all over each other. That makes for a robust conversation.
1: Right. Uh, we right.
2: were always very respectful of each other. I'm extremely respectful of Phil. He's a master interviewer. So, but he was respectful of me and encouraging me to, you know, to not be respectful of him and ask my questions. Uh, and they, and most of the time, you know, we would be quiet when we could see that they were getting started. So we, you know, it wasn't, uh, that was our intention was to hear from them. So we'd kind of hold off our story for a bit and let them talk. Um, but it, it, but we had a lot of laughs. And as I said, we had a few tears and, and we were extremely interested in what they had to say. There wasn't, there really wasn't a, a dead bolt in the, group. They all were...
1: They were very seductive. They seduced us. Yeah, they really and, did. And, uh, you know, kept us going. And so it really was like... Uh,
2: a double date.
1: Yeah. It was and like a, and oh. chatting with your neighbor. It, yeah. it was... Uh, yeah. Uh, that's That was the biggest surprise for me and a very welcome one.
2: Well, I think also because we're not reporters, even though Phil's a journalist, but he wasn't going there you know, to, uh, as a journalist, but as a husband and wife team, I think because we went there as a husband and wife team uh, talking about marriage, they felt safer because they knew us. You know, when you're interviewed by a, a stranger, you don't know what they're going to say and you don't know what they're going to write. I mean, I would prefer always an interview like this where we're hearing you, you're hearing us, and and this is it. You're not going to write it down and give us an opinion of what you think of us you know what i mean so uh, people are often very wary and guarded of people who have a tape recorder and, and are going to uh interpret uh who, interpret you and you know many times misunderstand you and misquote you we've all been through that so yes. i think one of the reasons why our conversations were so honest is that they knew we wouldn't do that that we've been through the horrors of having people completely misquote us and misunderstand us. And so they knew we wouldn't do that.
0: Did you develop friendships with the people you didn't know? And do you stay in touch it with did. them?
2: There's, yes. a, there's a couple of couples who shouldn't say who. That'll make other ones feel bad, so don't say hey. oh. But there are a couple of couples that we've become friendly with, that we've had dinner with, and uh, we've been Zooming with since this has been happening. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of the couples that we became
1: friends with. Zooming with, Boy, <laughs> the world has passed me by.
0: Uh, no, you're Zooming. You not zoom? at all. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so were there any similarities in the story? You talked a little bit about how there was a, a, a bit of a consensus on certain things that we all need to keep our marriages together. Um, can you list some of the things that you came away with? I think uh, trust,
2: not just trust that your spouse won't betray you, which is huge, but the trust that your spouse won't mess with your head, that one of the things that I think is a strength in our marriage is that if I ask Phil for advice, the advice he gives me all through these years is the advice that's good for me, not that's convenient for him. And that's a very big thing. And and I learned that. Uh, with him. One time uh, I was being offered the part in, in Six Degrees of Separation to go on a national tour for eight months. And I really wanted to do the play. And it was Lincoln Center. And it was the original director, Jerry Zachs. But it would be very difficult in our marriage. So it was a question that we'd have to answer together. It was a decision we'd have to make together. And I was a little nervous about it. Not just talking to him about it, but I was nervous about whether or not this was a right thing to even bring up for us. He's working. I'm working. How are we going to get back and forth to each other for eight months? So I brought him the problem. And I said, well, what do you think? And I laid it out for him. And he said to me, I said, because if this is going to endanger our marriage in any way, I don't want to do it. And he said, if I needed this as much as you need it, I do it. Now a lot of husbands might say, I think it's a bad idea. I think we won't be able to do the travel. I mean, he could have said that. It could have been is a perfectly logical answer. But instead, he felt what I felt. He felt I needed it. And if he oh, needed it, he would do it. That is a partner. That is somebody who loves you, who's going to that. give you the advice that's good for you, even though it's going to inconvenience him. He's going to have to get on more airplanes. He's going to have to have more nights alone. Uh But he he was willing to push me into that. And I, and I did it and it was hard. We had weekends where we couldn't get together. We, there were, it was difficult. It didn't obviously thank God, break up our marriage, but it was lonely. And we did have, you know, a lot of travel problems.
1: And we talked every night on the phone, obviously,
2: but you know, we did, but it was, it was, you know, it was a big thing. Eight, eight months is a long time.
0: That's a long That's what time. what
2: I mean. That's what I mean by real trust.
1: And she took her dog with her. I did on the road.
2: I did. I took my dog. Left the husband took the dog. Uh, she, well, he <laughs> took he he had one too. We had two dogs. Yeah.
1: Okay. Two he,
2: he kept Huey, and I took Louis.
1: Louis <laughs> and Louis rode the truck that transferred the, the the set. Right. Yeah. From city to city. Yeah.
2: I'd go by plane, and the dog would go in the truck with the props. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. Uh, we have, I'm looking at the clock here, and we have so many questions from people. If you don't mind, I'd like to throw a few out to you. Oh, we'd love to meet everybody. All right, so our first question is, what does a perfect date look like in your household? A perfect date? Uh, what What do we love to
2: do on a perfect date? Well, you know, we live in Manhattan, and, uh, and and what I like about New York is I grew up in L.A. In L.A., you have to have a car to, to for anything. In Manhattan, we can walk, Two blocks, and there's like seven restaurants that we like, and so we never make a reservation because we never know when we want to go out to dinner. So we go past the restaurant, we see if there's a table, we go in. If there isn't, we keep walking, and so I, we. I love the spontaneity of New York, and that's sort of what we like to do on a date night is something spontaneous. Yeah,
1: and Central Park may be the most well kept. Yeah, in every way, uh, the the uh, the foliage. The trees, I mean, they're fabulous. And we get a very nice view of them. So we can look down and see the seasons, something that I never had the opportunity. I can see the sun rise and set from where we live. And you get to be familiar with the arc of the sun. I know, you know, this doesn't turn everybody on. But I'm telling you, I'm I'm like a, a kindergartner learning something about astronomy. It's it's been uh, a
2: fabulous experience. And there's also a restaurant in the park called the Boathouse. We often go there for lunch and something we've, we've learned, you know, we, we love to go to the theater. I hope someday we get to go again. And, but again, we're so spontaneous that we don't always get the tickets in advance. So we go to the theater and of by hook or by crook, we always we get a, we get some seats. Not because we're famous or anything, because there's always a couple of seats left, even when it's sold out. And then we'll go at the last minute. We'll go like a half hour before curtain and pick up a couple of seats, and that's fun too. So, so basically, date night for us is spontaneous. We don't really make money plans. Yeah,
0: oh, I love that. All right. So, this is a question for Phil. The TV landscape has changed since your last Donahue show. Is there anything you miss about it? Anything you miss about the old days?
1: Well, yes, of course. Uh, I don't miss the shirt and the tie every every day. <laughs> but um, I, I miss the excitement of uh, featuring a different person or subject every day. I mean, I learned a lot just by sitting on my own show and listening to the guests. Um, but and the landscape
2: course, today is different, she said. Very,
1: very different. Uh the, you called it
2: Hollywood Square. Yeah,
1: you, you know, I do. I like in today's talk shows, you remember the old Hollywood Squares with Peter Marshall? Yep. And, you know, we would have one guest for show, one guest for an hour. And I can't get over how today's host, you know, with blocks all around him, <laughs> each one with a different face, how they, how they, I'm impressed with, Somehow they keep track of who said what and yeah, but making I sure like, that everybody gets a shot, you know, just to yeah. just to make sure you amortize the, the time of all the guests so that everybody has a reasonably equal opportunity. to but speak. I,
2: but I don't think it's as good. I don't I don't think it's as interesting as talking to one person for an hour. I just think that you really get a hold of the person, you get a hold of the topic. And then, of course, you'd go out in the audience and ask the audience to ask questions. By the end of the hour, you really knew something.
1: And you wanted that book if it wasn't off. Right,
2: exactly. I, I uh-huh. went on the Donahue show to, to sell a movie when, when I first met Phil. And that was exciting. I mean, he really, he really sold people because you got a chance to really talk about it. Now you get four minutes, you know,
0: five minutes and you're off. It's just... And that's a long time nowadays. Oh, yeah. That's really? A, that's yeah. A long time. And,
1: and you can hear the, you can hear the the hosts. They talk faster. Oh yeah, and they talk louder. Yeah, uh-huh.
2: and they're looking at their notes because they got to get through it. It's, it's not. It's, it doesn't have the ease of the
1: other. Of and, the and I don't blame them. I because most of them are doing much better than I would. Obviously, I put myself in that. <laughs> you know, I'm saying, how would I handle this? And I am impressed. I I am. I can't get over how much they cover how they keep track of what was said, who said it. Not uh, as good as when you did it.
0: Absolutely. So so you talked about the first time you met Phil. Could you each talk about the first time you met each other and what that was like?
1: Well, I met Marlo in the green room. And uh, she turned around. And, of course, the first thing you see are the eyes. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I don't know if you have to be Catholic to understand it, but she was an impure thought. And... <laughs> <laughs> that certainly didn't hurt in terms of a guest, you know, but she was a, Marlo was an interesting guest because she was not only Hollywoody and good looking, she could talk about political things intelligently, not least the women's movement. You know, she would say things that would, the phones would just explode. So I always had somebody on the phone waiting to get on. And I could see the audience wanting to get in. And that's when you really feel you really like your job because you're running around. and A community is developed between me, Marlo, the callers, and the people in the audience. Shazam, that is a show you dream about.
2: And I just fell in love with him. I didn't have a show. I didn't have the audience or a microphone. I just was, I saw that white hair and those killer blue eyes, and I just was gone. So the two of us, uh, we flirted for a full hour and then he invited me to dinner the next night. And, and that was pretty much it.
0: I love it. Um, speaking of uh, your own show, we have a question from the audience that says, have you ever thought about hosting your own talk show, Marlo?
2: No, no, no. One, one talk show host is plenty. We've been, <laughs> we've been asked to do a talk show together uh, in the past. And we That'd never. would be great. We, yeah, we were always afraid to work together. Uh, but now that we work together, maybe we should consider that, honey.
1: Okay. Sure. <laughs> the uh, Mister
0: and Mrs. Donahue show. Right. <laughs> well, you can start right now. You're zooming your first show, right? right so right. It, right. it's a it's a good experiment. <laughs> Um, all right. So we have another question. Do you have plans to work on another project together since you survived this one?
2: Well, no, we're not done with this one yet. (laughs) We're still, uh, (laughs) we're still trying to get people to understand it and and hear about it and, and know it and buy it and enjoy it. I, I am very proud of this book. Uh, it's a, it's, we did a, we did a really uh, honest investigation of marriage and of these people. And, and I think we came up with, a lot of topics and nuggets and experiences that other people will will learn from and will see themselves in it, and not just like one story, but I think people will see themselves in five, six, seven, eight stories. And for newlyweds, I'm I'm so sorry that so many uh, weddings got postponed this year because I thought what a great gift for a newlywed but you know if you're already married if you've been married a long time if you're having trouble with your marriage if you'd like to find out something else we've as I said with James Carville saying kick the can down the road and a lot of other little things that we picked up that have helped us I truly believe that our marriage got healthier and stronger from who said
1: I love you every night
2: Bob Woodward Bob Woodward and Elsa Walsh Say I love you every night. It just—it's just, just a—you—you you get a new appreciation for how to accommodate another person.
1: And, and and you know these are people in an age when half of us get divorced. These are people that wanted that relationship to last. Right. They wanted it, and you—you you could feel it. You could see it in their attitude, how they spoke about each other, and
2: what they had gone through. That they got through the other side of all of these issues that they faced, and many of them went to couples therapy. Uh, Brian Cranston and Robin Dearden, uh, Neil Patrick Harris and David Burke, Ron and Cheryl Howard, several couples uh, went through couples therapy. To Al, Al Roker and Deborah Roberts, and Brian Cranston said it, it wasn't to have a referee; it was to have an interpreter. Somebody who could say, that's not what she meant. This is what she meant. Or is that, what you, is that what you felt at that moment? Oh, I thought you felt something else. And that is true in our marriage. Is oftentimes, Phil will say something, and I'll say, well, why would you say that? And I'll be offended by it. And then he'll explain what he meant. I had it all wrong. But thankfully, we have a good communication. So we can stop and say, what did you mean by that? But some people can't do that. And the idea of, I don't know, it was Judy Vior said, you know, you, no matter how hard you try, he's never going to be you and you're never going to be him. So let's put that doubt as a given right. and, and,
1: and, and anticipate ac- that before right. you marry. Right.
2: And accommodate right. who that other person is and accommodate their differences. I love what Patty Smith, John McEnroe's wife said. She said, women are always saying to me, he's got great potential. She said, forget it don't marry potential marry the person that you see that's who you're going to be living <laughs> with don't marry potential you are not going to shape him into something else that you want marry this guy that's also very you know interesting to to think about how we do that you know how we try to change each other phil tried to change me and i tried to break him of different habits it's not <laughs> going to happen so at a certain point you just have to say this is who he is i love him I will accommodate his differences and he'll accommodate mine and we won't be fighting about it.
1: And the marriage will last, last. Yes, it will.
0: And it's lasting. All right, we have some more questions. Phil, you talked about staring at people's living rooms. (laughs) Who had an interesting or surprising living room?
1: Wasn't that a good question? I think the
2: most surprising house was Judge Judy. (laughs) Yeah. Judge Judy, who is the most down-to-earth, You know, smart talking, tough talking, truthful talking person in the world. I, when we drove up to their house, I thought we had the wrong house. It was so grand. It was so beautiful. Uh, Not that I didn't think she'd have a beautiful house. I just didn't think she'd have that grand a house.
1: No, it was, uh...
2: it was gorgeous. And they built it themselves. I mean, they, uh, I didn't build it themselves (laughs) with a saw and a hammer, but I mean, it was their design. Gorgeous. Really and very very grand. She's a hoot. The two of them are so funny. Really very funny people.
0: How long did it take you to interview everybody? Weeks, months, or a year?
2: About about nine ten months, I think. Yeah, that's well,
0: a long time. A well, you had to, we had to
2: do a lot of traveling. Yeah, and we had other we had other living to do in the middle of that. Yeah, we 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 didn't go and do you know five at a time. We go to L.A. and we did we do a couple. Uh, but it's exhausting to spend that kind of concentrated time with somebody. So we made a, a couple of trips to L.A. And then we had several people here in New York. But we, we didn't uh, do like two a day or anything like that. We, we'd do one and then we'd, you know, take a couple of days off and then do another one. You have to have your mind clear so that you can be open, you know, to the
1: open your heart to the next people.
0: Did you ever get stressed out and say, why are we doing this?
1: Well, when we finally went to was it Austin, Texas? Yeah. To interview with the Hendersons. Oh right, uh huh. The longest known marriage uh, on earth. It was a, well the
2: oldest married couple on earth. Them, so, what,
0: eighty years married, eighty years. They married
2: eighty years. Yeah, uh, six reasons. years more than the Carters. The Carters were seventy-four, right? Yeah. So what were you going to say about them?
1: About the like, Hendersons? Yeah. Well, that was that was pretty special. Just just to meet them. 107
2: and and 105.
1: Yeah. And they're still married. And they're still going. And they were very, very animated. Nothing boring about them. Oh my, they were inspirational. And they
2: never had any children. And they think that could be the reason.
0: (laughs) All right. So what are your thoughts about the state of media today, news or entertainment, either one?
2: Well, I'm worried for entertainment. Uh, I really am. I mean, that's my world. And Um, I don't think we're going to be going back to the theater, the live theater for a while. And I love to work in the theater and I love to go to the theater, but I think gathering, sitting close together with people, I don't know how soon we're going to be comfortable to do that. And that kind of breaks my heart. Thank God for, for television, for Netflix and Hulu and YouTube and Showtime and HBO and all of them. That uh, are able to do big events, uh, concerts, and movies, and because otherwise we wouldn't be able to work, because um, people aren't going to go to movie theaters either for a while. So that's uh, so I do worry about what's going to happen to the whole world of entertainment. We've been watching a lot of concerts. Last night we watched something. What was it? New York Rise or something? Uh, like? Yeah, it was a live show about to, to raise money for New York because we're. The epicenter of this terrible disease, and so Tina Fey hosted a show with a lot of Mariah Carey and Billy Joel and Sting and all these great singers. So there've been a lot of wonderful concerts lately, and that and that's been great. And and you think, well, good. So there'll be concerts. We won't be able to go to them live, but we're able to see them But baseball games. You know, there's so many things in our lives that we just take for granted. Let's go to a baseball game and. You know, I don't know when we're going to feel comfortable doing that, and that
1: that does worry me. And as a former uh, news junkie, uh, I was part of the uh, the whole community of reporters, and I still look up, look in on them. I uh, I have a great great curiosity about who's saying what, and I've learned a couple things being on the outside uh, looking in. I think, uh, you know, I think um, maybe we have a, uh, it's hard to say this without being a hypocrite. If I had a show, I would have Donald Trump on my show. (laughs) But I do think we're so focused, uh, so-called mainstream media is focused on Trump as I would be. But I think there should be more attention given to how did we get here? What happened? You know, who are those people when he walks out with the kitchen tablecloth tie <laughs> and, you know, applauding himself? And those people in the front rows with the cameras that go up, who are those people? What makes them so attracted to this man who is can be so vulgar, grabbing women by the crotch and so on?
2: But I think another point you made was when we're that fixated on, on political figure, what stories are we not getting? Yeah, what well, stories are we not investigating other than mm. that? And that, that's, that's worrisome. I mean, uh, now with the virus, unfortunately, the tragedy of it, right? I mean, we, we've lost two friends and have other friends mm. who have it. Uh, and so there's a tremendous amount of, uh, of, uh, focus on that story, but, there really are a lot of stories in the world that we're not getting because we're so fixated on what's going on in Washington, and that—that's a point you've made that I think is right. really important, right. too. You know.
0: Well, we have about three minutes left, and I would love to ask how you would describe the other person in three words.
1: Three three words?
2: How about a <laughs> sentence? Okay, oh, go
1: oh, first oh, how would you describe me, honey, in three words or a sentence? Um, Marlo <laughs> is a water bug, <laughs> she makes turns. I mean, she, she can do several things at once. I'm fascinated just during the virus I've had a close up. I'm in the front the row watching her work.
2: During the quarantine, yeah.
1: And I mean it, I mean she's on the phone and the, the the other phone is ringing. I am impressed with everything she can get done almost all at once. So I I guess I knew that but I've never been so close to it happening and Seeing her for-
2: well, we've never been locked up before, so we're not seeing no, each other.
1: That's true. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I, I, I think what I would say about Phil is, is that uh, I know who he is. He is a member of my tribe, and I trust that so totally. You know, a lot Aww. of people you just don't know
0: what makes them tick. I, I know what makes him tick, and I like it. Oh. How will you be celebrating your fortieth year anniversary? Well, spontaneously. <laughs> Not the way we walked <laughs> up. You're
1: you're looking at the uh, you're looking Woo-hoo. at the place where we're going to celebrate.
0: Right. <laughs> We've been
2: very strict about uh, about uh, staying in and being self quarantined. Um, usually on our anniversary, our gift to each other for thirty nine years has been going away together. Sometimes when we had enough time, we went to China, Japan, Indonesia, Italy, France. Uh, Where where do we go? Uh, Tahiti, just any place you can imagine. Uh, But this year, we won't be doing that, obviously. So we'll be home. I don't know, maybe playing cards or (laughs) dancing. I don't know what we'll be doing. But we'll be making dinner, that's for sure. We've become very good at cooking together.
1: Yeah, and not long ago, I had a chapter of my life with Vladimir Posner, the former communist uh, Russian journalist who I did a space bridge with. And not long after that, we were in Russia. Right. And I'm in Omsk. I mean, Omsk. (laughs) It's in uh, Siberia. And I'm walking around their central square in the downtown area. And a little old lady with a babushka... Looked at me and said, Feel, feel, space bridge. And I thought, wow, I'm an international celebrity. (laughs) And the next thing I know, we're in Japan and we're at a Buddha statue, you know, the big, and two little Japanese women with obis looked at me and they're pointing to their camera. And I'm thinking, boy, they just won't (laughs) let you alone. I mean, I can't walk down. Any street in the in the world, <laughs> and they came over and handed me the camera. They wanted me to take their picture. <laughs> they didn't know who the hell I was. So famous, fleeting. So, I learned so I awkward. learned that in a hurry.
0: Not even a
2: bottle of champagne, for you guys? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, we'll definitely have champagne, and we'll make a good dinner, and and we'll sit out and look at the park and and be together, which is what we're going to do if we went to. Japan. So it's kind of the same thing. The scenery is different, but we're going to be the same two people celebrating. Right.
0: Oh. So final thoughts on how to make a marriage last.
1: Final thoughts.
2: Well, I think uh, love, listening, and lust.
1: Uh, the right. three L's. And try to, try to avoid jealousy. Yeah. Jealousy is very draining. And I ought to know. Um, uh, there's a story... Who told the story about flying home? Kelly and Mark. Oh, yeah, Mark yeah. Consuelo. Yeah. You know, he's talking on the phone from Boston where he was doing a movie. And she was in New York. Yeah, and he said, what are you doing tonight? And she said, well, I'm cleaning the toilet and doing various <laughs> things Rather, And he just, you know, he had it in his head that she was not telling him the truth. So he flew home and walked in on her as a surprise, walked right past her, Looked behind the drapes, I mean this guy was he's looking for the tall, dark stranger that he knew was somewhere in the apartment,
2: and she had a Johnny mop in her hand and was actually cleaning up the apartment, but he said, but he said he's gotten over that now he's much better, but he heard, you know he was just sure that he was out of town, and she said he kept doing this, and finally I, she said, aren't you tired of not catching me doing what you think i'm doing um, so so jealousy could be uh
0: can really drive you mad okay so love and lust and the three l's listen love and lust oh i love it all right well i'm expecting the two of you to start your own talk show okay you're uh-huh. so good at this
2: thank, <laughs> you. thank you
0: and we have to go thank you so much thank you thank you we had a it's good time a joy.
2: bye-bye all right. bye-bye all
0: right. happy anniversary
2: thank you thank you thank you
0: i want to Say a big, huge thank you to Marlo Thomas and Phil Donahue, the authors of What Makes a Marriage Last. It's a great read. It's an easy read. It is about 600 pages, but you'll just fly through it. It's just amazing. And I highly recommend it. It's I, I laughed so hard and shed a few tears when I looked at some of the things I was reading. So we want to remind people who are watching us right now, be sure to support your local independent bookstore and pick up your copy what makes a marriage last today. And thank you all for joining us today for this special presentation by the Commonwealth Club of San Francisco. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate.